and welcome to Nourishing Books and Bites, where I chat with inspiring people about some of the great projects, events, books and other uplifting things they're involved with to help shape a better tomorrow today. They're all people who are having conversations and taking action with their communities for fun, to create change and sharing hope and joy along the way. I'm Anthea, the host of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, a podcast series that includes Nourishing Books and Bites episodes and is presented by Foodswell. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sharing diverse news and views about climate and climate action to build solidarity is absolutely key to enabling the shifts required, the big systemic ones to those in our everyday lives and to changing the power of politics and big corporates to get them on board to lead and act. In an era of highly consolidated media, the media of Murdoch, especially, big things can grow from little things and build communities of action. I'm speaking with Mark Spencer, who is the founder of Climactic, an independent podcast network that is rapidly growing and in 2021, to coincide with Earth Day, achieved something pretty incredible, podcasters declare. Over 1,300 podcasters and listeners internationally calling for a climate category to be put into place by big tech giant Apple. Welcome, Mark. It is so exciting to be speaking with you. Anthea, so exciting to be speaking to you too. I'm a huge fan, long-time listener, first-time caller. And how are things in New Zealand that where you've recently moved to and how are you settling in? Oh, um, it's been unsettling at the start. Yeah, starting with a two-week quarantine was um, disconcerting, to say the least. You know, staying in a, in a five-star hotel. We got so lucky, my wife and I. Um, it was my wife's first time in the South Island. We got sent down to Christchurch, a city I hadn't been to since I was 12 years old, the first and last time. Um, so it was it was really nice, great Southern hospitality. The people were amazing. We got well looked after by uh, New Zealand Defense Forces. The, the hotel was run by the Sappers, the Royal Engineers. Wow. So we had a great, you know, sequence of chats with, with guys who uh, did not expect to be playing concierge and chaperone <laughs> to returning Kiwis. Um, but since that, since getting out of quarantine, it's it's been great uh, getting re-familiarized with a country that I haven't lived in for eight years, but definitely still consider home under my American accent. I'm uh, I'm half Kiwi and I have a lot of family and roots here. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's very good to be home. Thanks, Anthea. Well, all power to you. And I hope you and your wife have a really fantastic time back in New Zealand. Um before we dig in, perhaps, to talk about Climactic and the amazing network you've built and that just offers all sorts of support, can I just say a huge congratulations to you and all of the team who worked with you who got behind Podcasters Declare. It must must be a huge sense of achievement to have built up that movement and got it got, got such recognition for, on Earth Day. It, it really is unbelievable. Um, you know, the, the roots of it were it was just a an idea or it was kind of like a an, an obvious like this should exist um actually three years ago in 2019 like the start of 2019 um apple added some new categories to their podcast directory and it really seemed to me then which was like right in the early days of climactic that they missed one you know there was still a big space missing at least one category missing and that was like anything to do with the environment or you know, sustainability, which is becoming quite a, a buzzword at the time, 
much less climate change, which, you know, I can forgive them for 2019. It's, it's mid Trump in the States, you know, like maybe they don't want to say the C word, but like no environment, no sustainability, seriously, for such a, a corporately green company as Apple. So, um, you know, it seemed obvious to me at the time back then, but nothing happened and they added true crime and they added history and they added fiction. But I was like, well, all right, well, one of these days, Apple might notice that we're here and talking about this to then, uh, yeah, talk to some amazing people like, you know, new friends, friends through Climactic who had all the skill set and all the the tools to really pull off this campaign, which was not nothing I had in my wheelhouse. Um, yeah, it feels surreal to to have been talked about in the New York Times by um by the the New York Times, the Daily, their their daily news podcast, the producer of that show, Phoebe Lett, is a name I have heard every day for five years now. Like, you know, wrote about it. And I'm like, oh, geez, all right, this is cool. Um, not to be all too aw shucks about it, but it's uh, you know. I'm talking to the right person to talk about, you know, the potential for for seeds and from small things, big things can grow, I guess. But it was cool to see. Yeah. So, so and and it was fantastic that, ca- that the campaign came together and really made its mark on Earth Day, April 22nd, just recently. Um, and as you've just mentioned, um, podcasters declare got quite amazing international recognition, making the news in the New York Times. ABC Australia, Pebble Magazine, and I think also Let Me Breathe India. Is that right? Yeah, which is, is an amazing uh, TikTok uh, channel. I, and they've got a big YouTube following and Snapchat following as well. They reached out to us because they found the campaign through other podcasts and thought as well, this seemed pretty obvious. Um, I especially want to thank the the editor, um, uh, I think uh, Nisha, um, Anisha, the editor of Let Me Breathe, who, who kindly did an amazing interview with, with myself and Sean Marsh, who was on the campaign. Uh, her father is going through a rough time at the moment with COVID in India. And they're, you know, victims of the oxygen shortage there. And I can see this kind of every day, this this escalating series of like, you know, tweets for help essentially. So um I absolutely just want to take a moment to say, like, you know, the the privilege we have in Australia and New Zealand for yeah, being out of the the worst of the um, the fires there are, yeah. So so let me breathe. It was very kind of them to cover us, but um, yeah, they've got yeah. so much to focus on right at home at the moment, haven't they? Absolutely. I read I read an incredible but heartbreaking long article, long piece by Arundhati Roy, mm. who's a great human rights activist in India, about just the human rights crisis that is unfolding and yeah. just. Ugh. Horrifying. It's, it's if anything, you know, hopefully we can draw clear lessons from it because we're feeling, we're seeing so acutely right now the basically it's it's climate on a much shorter time scale, right? Like we've seen within just the space of one year how how disruption and not being able to take things for granted and the importance of, of food sovereignty and 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 just localization is so important. And then you're seeing how uh political leaders not not holding themselves accountable to the for the for the basics of what their people need yeah the commons and the common interest yeah um i was going to ask you um why i mean to podcasters it's perhaps obvious but tell me why apple creating a climate category is so strategically important and how would it help uh, the the great stories that are being shared get out there more yeah, so this is a story that's 
thankfully really easy to tell because everyone, uh, most people, like everyone listening to this on a podcast will of course be familiar with the true crime explosion. You know, the, the explosion in popularity of true crime podcasts we've had within the last two years. And, and even those people who haven't listened to a podcast before might have heard of Teacher's Pet or Serial. Um, you know, even Kim Kardashian tweeted a couple of years ago about Serial. She just finished it and wanted to know what to listen to next, which of course sent all of podcasters all over the world rushing to tweet her their show, including myself. <laughs> um, so luckily we've got that that precedent and we can see that when people are making shows about a particular space, it can, even though there's a lot of shows being made, it's really hard for someone who's found show A to find show B if there isn't the common thread of, oh, this is X type of podcast. Um, and, and the reason for that is even though a lot of people don't go kind of, I, I call it crate digging, like people do for vinyl at a, a music shop, they're not digging through categories, looking at a bunch of podcasts by name. But what it does do is allow a common vernacular, essentially like it, it creates that genre. Whereas before, um, I said recently about podcasters declared that it was only because Apple made it a true crime category that we call it true crime. It could have easily been, oh, those are cold case podcasts or those are unsolved murder podcasts. The, the whole the idea of they were true crime, that wording is only there because of, well, there is a history of some true crime TV shows and, and as a genre of books, but it's just as popular to call them cold cases. So uh, Apple essentially acting as a librarian there and an organizer of data made the whole space um, valid. It made it uh, describable. It made people who were in that space know what space they were in and who their peers were. Uh, and all of that is missing right now for climate podcasts um, because there are plenty of people talking about changes in the world and adaptation and mitigation and all of these things, but they don't really either identify themselves as a climate show or they don't realize there are other people out there doing it. Yeah, yeah. So it sort of builds connections, easy searchability, and also enables people to more readily find what's current and, and um, cutting edge. Yeah, so it, it, it's a boring uh, solution to a boring problem. It's an organizational problem. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the work of the unsung heroes of any business. It's the office admin work. Um, but it is vitally important. And we can see here that without that role being played by anyone in space, there's essentially a, a lot of people just sort of slipping through the cracks and not knowing mm -hmm. how much there is out there. Okay. So about over 1300 podcasters and lists and listeners who've signed up to podcasters declare, can you give us a bit of a, a sense of the, uh, yeah, a bit of the breakdown by, you know, internationally or by sort of, uh, you know, subgenre or. Yeah, definitely. So, so the, the breakdown there is until, until the end of the campaign, we said X number of podcasters and X number of listeners. Um, it was about a four to one ratio there by the end. So we had very close to 300 podcasts sign. Um, so that is they, you know, they thought this was worth doing. They could see the benefit in a climate category they might not have all used a climate category were it to be created. Um, but one important thing to note on how the categories work in Apple podcast land is you don't choose just one category. You can choose up to three categories for your podcast, which is, I think, Apple kind of showing that 
podcasts can be more than one thing. They can be about more than one thing. They can be intersectional. So um, a really good climate podcast called Drilled, which is essentially true crime for climate space, um, it started its first season with a deep dive into what Exxon knew when. Uh, so it goes into the research done by Exxon in the 70s into how they knew exactly what the linkage was between their products and climate damage and emissions and atmospheric composition changes and how they hit it. So it is a true crime show, but it's also a climate show and it's also a politics show. So you've got you know the three categories you can choose there. So one of those would definitely be climate. Uh, so yeah, we had just under 300 podcasts, but contained within those 300 podcasts were all the big shows, all the ones that I've been listening to for five, six, seven years. Shows like Mothers of Invention, which is co-hosted by the former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson. Um, another one, uh, Outrage Plus Optimism, which is co-hosted by Christina Figueres, who is the architect of the Paris Treaty. So these shows signed, they of course could see the benefit of it, but it was really heartening that, you know, comedy shows signed because they occasionally, even comedy can't escape that we're in a climate crisis and they are, are acknowledging it and talking about it. And boy, it would be nice sometimes to find some comedy that talks about climate. So you don't have to just, you know, the amount of times I'm like, I feel like some climate content, but I don't want a huge gulp of despair. I'd like a little sip and some levity. Yes, a little, a little chaser or a little batuta advocate on podcasts for some satire to really bring the message home. Precisely, a, a perfect example of which would be a rational fear. To shout out to a to friend and past guest Dan Illich, his show. Uh, he was the showrunner of um, the Weekly with Tom Ballard before that was uh, cancelled by the ABC. But they, uh, his show, which is like a weekly panel news show, uh, won the Australian Podcast Award for best comedy. But it is 100% a climate podcast. They talk about climate whenever it's in the news, which is quite often in 2021. Yeah, no, fantastic. So, Mark, where to from here for podcasters to clear? So the plan with it is that uh, the open letter campaign to Apple was definitely a, a limited time, limited run event. We wanted to make it a sprint. And uh, I was referring to it in like sort of the first month after we launched and we didn't have an end date. And I was saying it kind of felt like the long march to nowhere, where we didn't know where the end was. So it was very hard to, you know, to, to know how to ration your energy. Um, so by selecting, we originally chose April 15th as the end date, giving Apple a week to April 22nd, Earth Day, to announce a, a climate category in the lead up to that. Um, we eventually pushed it out to April 22nd. And then a couple of days after Earth Day, we put up this kind of recap of, of what we'd done in the preceding two months since we launched on February 15th. Now, what happened is we we have heard from Apple, uh, not officially, but through back channels to say, nice website, great campaign. We appreciate your, your interest. Thanks for trying to help us make the Apple podcast store better. Don't call us, we'll call you, essentially. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I've since spoken to people who are formerly at Apple, uh, are currently at Apple, but aren't the decision makers. And it's just, there's, there's definitely an acknowledgement that th they know people want this. It's just a, a matter of where it sits on their priorities list. But um, I'm sure it, it, it frustrates Apple, I'm, I assume, to no end that they announced a $200 million initiative in the climate space as of two weeks ago. And the coverage of it when the podcast trade newspapers 
was, um, so Apple can announce $200 million in funding, but they can't add a climate category. So we've kind of got our claws into their news cycles now, where until they do this very simple, boring thing, anything else they do in the space will have that caveat held over it. So we don't know when it's going to happen. We're, we're confident, but where to next, honestly, is a couple of weeks of, of reflection and a little bit of rest and recuperation for the team. Uh, the team is all volunteers. It was four of us, one of whom is now doing a practicals for a nursing degree. The other is uh, currently running a branding agency while the while the owner is away and, and the other is doing a PhD. And I've just moved countries during a pandemic. So we don't know what's going to be phase two, but we know phase one is over. We know we were heard. We know that the walls of Jericho haven't fallen just yet. So we'll be back on the horns soon. And can people still sign up to Podcasters Declare? Absolutely. And how, how do they do that? So podcastersdeclare.com. You can read our open letter. You can sign it if that speaks to you. And the more signatures, the, the louder the voice, the more will be heard within Apple. Well, I'm going to watch closely and with, with great interest. Thank you for signing, Anthea. That <laughs> was a pleasure. Now, let's talk about the force behind it all, which is you, really, and Climactic. Tell us about what Climactic is and how and why you started it. As for being the, sort of the engine behind it, the, the man who built sort of Tesla into the company it is now was kind of Elon Musk, but Elon Musk didn't come up with the Tesla, right? So I, I, I had an idea for a thing and then the team built the stuff around it. Um, but definitely I, as a podcast listener myself, since I was 12 years old, I, I, I could identify the problem. Um, and that's also the genesis of Climactic. It wasn't a... Uh, I'm Mark, I want to be a podcaster. It was, I'm Mark, I'm a podcast listener, and I can't find the podcast I want to listen to. It doesn't seem to exist yet, which honestly blew my mind. So it was early 2018. I'd been in Australia for just under a year after moving to Melbourne from UK. I'd been in the UK for a year. Before that, I'd been in China for two years teaching English. So I'd kind of seen environmental devastation and destruction in China on like a, an industrial scale um, to, to take nothing away from the economic miracle of China in the last couple of decades, whether you're you know pro or anti China's government or not. And I, I, I'm not pro, but I can acknowledge that um, hundreds of millions of people have been lifted out of rural poverty in China. But the, the city that I lived in was very much a pick your post-apocalyptic landscape of your choice and that had similarities. Um, you know, it was, it was coal power stations right in the city. It was smog every day. I was there for two years, as I said, and we had five days of blue sky and you could tell the sun was yellow. Otherwise it was orange. So I was asking my students that I was teaching English to what color is the sun? The answer was orange and I couldn't correct them because they were empirically right at least for there. Um, so I, I'd arrived in Australia being like, wow, this is better. This is lovely. There's, there's, there's no issues here. The sky is blue. The air is sweet. And it was actually through uh, involvement in the food industry. I was working in hospitality at a, a technology company that was selling point of sales uh, software to cafes and restaurants. Then I went to a trade show where a consultant on food waste and sustainability uh, I struck up a conversation and, and a friendship with this woman, and she kind of opened my eyes to my uh, participation in emissions. 
even even in places lovely as Australia and developed and everything else seemed to be good. Um, so I was like, okay, food waste is this equivalent of cars on the road with tailpipes burping. Um, okay, this is this is a problem. Um, I I've, I've got to be I've got to do something about this. But what do I do? How do I feel about it all? I couldn't find a show about that. So uh, myself and Rich Bowden, who is a, a lovely podcaster from the Central West of New South Wales. Uh, a uh, podcaster on permaculture. Um, I found him through a Facebook group. I said, hey, how about we have a show where I talk to people in the city and you talk to people in your sort of semi-rural area about how they feel about climate change, what they're doing about it. Not talk to deniers, but talk to people who are you know, on the verge of becoming climate engaged and what, what does that look like to them and how do they maintain it? Three years on, we've just celebrated our third birthday. We've got over 300 episodes. We've been weekly every week since then, uh, rain or shine. But a lot of times lately that has meant highlighting the best of other shows on on the network, which we'll talk about in a second, including Nourishing. So your <laughs> podcast is 300 episodes old and going strong. And then you've generously sort of, well, this network, this family of other different voices or different perspectives, but addressing the core issues. Yeah, if, if it's a family model, I'm definitely like the the cousin who podcasts, who like, you know, I, I definitely, it's definitely not a, um, well, Mark started this network and and how does Mark want us to run it? And we're joining Mark's thing. Instead, it's very much a, I, I got very lucky with being in the position I was in where I wasn't looking to be a podcaster. I wasn't looking to, to start this thing, I just wanted more in this space. So by starting essentially a collective of shows, I was able to do things like start a website that multiple people could have their show on or get a subscription to a remote recording tool that multiple people could use. Um, and then I had the very good fortune three weeks before COVID lockdown started in Melbourne of starting a full-time job at a podcast hosting company. Um, so this, this Melbourne based company I work at is a, as a global provider of podcast hosting to, to shows you've heard of and networks you might listen to a lot of commercial radio, uh, use this service. So it was very well positioned through COVID and, um, it was actually a huge advantage for me providing support, which is what I do to people with networks. If I also had a network and kind of knew their pain and could help um, make the product better for network hosts and operators. So I um, was able to become a network operator. <laughs> so for listeners, just to sort of, in a nutshell, sort of tell the story of what Climactic uh, aims to do, uh, from, from your website it says, Climactic tells the stories of the people making a difference, regular people like us in a daily struggle to live sustainable lives. We want to be the people's voice on climate change embedded in the community from the perspective of actual people. We want to hear and share those powerful stories. Are you a member of a community environmental group? Do you have knowledge of climate change? Or are you, you know, a regular person struggling to figure out your role? We'd love to help you tell your story. And that's exactly what you do. You've got over, is it over 30 or 40 Australian podcasts on the Climactic Network? It's over 20 at this point. I haven't done a, a count in a little while. I think uh, definitely the, the active shows are easily over a dozen. And then there are definitely plenty of shows. Well, we've got a few that are seasonal and that will have sort of on and off periods. Um, just because the whole, the whole thing we practice is definitely a, um, podcasting as a 
as a hobby or as a, a thing you can do around your your real life, essentially. And are they mostly Australian? Currently all, yes. So um, so coming soon, that will change. I'm speaking to New Zealand-based podcasters who like the thought of expanding out beyond New Zealand, um, who like the thought of the the free tools and resources we can offer and, and the community, because in podcasting, it's very easy to be talking to a microphone in a room by yourself. As you say, it's uh, people doing podcasts as a hobby or as a form of writing personal passion and professional knowledge and expertise. Do you have much engagement or do you seek engagement with industry groups in the sector? And I'm I'm thinking perhaps of someone like Giles Parkinson from Renew Economy. It's, it's been interesting that, yes, we have worked with industry groups. Um, we've worked with uh, groups around the arts. We've worked with you know, the Australian Greens have been very generous in their uh, availability of, you know, interviewing people like like Senator, then Senator, former Senator uh, Richard Di Natale. But um, it, it's been interesting that there is definitely some some suspicion in the climate space around people who are in the same lane of feeling like, oh, they're going to get there first or they're going to take my spot when like the whole thing about climactic is trying to kind of uh, not not create our own wheel, but get the existing wheels moving faster. And we are we are super keen working with people who already have podcasts to um, basically give them more capacity if they need uh, to to help out as needed, or to be a training ground for let's say a climate council who previously have had a podcast but don't currently. If they would like to start a podcast again, they could easily use us to to launch their show, to get some first initial audience outside their network, or to have someone within their organization work with us for a time, say a couple months, to get hands-on experience and, and learn a lot of those lessons before they're doing it for the capital C, capital C Climate Council. Come, come and play in our sandbox. Yeah, so, so there's lots of um, sort of skills and resources you offer to podcasters, but you're also helping them re- more readily uh, reach an audience more extensively. Is that correct? Yes, that's, that's that's definitely the hope. Because, and this goes back to there's no climate category, there's no kind of place you can go to find climate podcasts that doesn't kind of keep you within that that orbit or that network. Um, so the, the reason why Climactic has been independent from the start isn't because I couldn't have approached uh, Beyond Zero Emissions, who, who has had two radio shows until recently. And I like I could have just gone to them and volunteered and, and joined their team, but the idea was if there is something independent by a team that is not you know fully on the books with any one group, then we'll kind of be above and separate from the you know any kind of uh, I don't want to say the dirty p of politics word, but like of just history. Like we're we're, we're not having any doors shut for us because we're associated with a group that we might not even be aware of that are being shut. Um, so by staying independent, we are just trying to trying to keep the drawbridge all the way down for people or like the, the ladder, the rungs going all the way down to the ground for folks. Yeah. No, I can think of lots of podcasts that would, um, that I know of that could be part of the collective and that are quasi, you know, a sort of industry, but also community uh, activist groups. And an obvious one is Farmers for Climate Action. They have a really fantastic uh, podcast and they do you know so many uh, other programs and advocacy and professional development for farmers and more. And that's a perfect example. Yeah. So so in, in very practical terms, what yeah, it's a good uh, climactic collective 
offer to the uh, Farmers for Climate Action is no costs for what you're paying at the moment. So like, you know, to host a podcast, the barriers to entry are really low, but they start from, you know, like $20 a month for for a decent podcast host. And there's a few other tools you need and you need someone's time to edit the show. And also you need someone to listen to the show and give honest feedback, which can be very hard to come by. Um, so these are what the Climactic Collective offers, not just my own time now, but there is a, there is uh, 60 plus members of the collective who are really generous giving people and who want to get that and they're willing to give it. Okay, so so it's a collective of shows, but also a collective of professionals in the space. That's correct, yes. So um, Nourishing Matters is uh, thrilled to be part of the collective, so thank you for welcoming us. So great to have you and finally good to you know, be meeting you. It's- Nourishing is very much looking at the big picture healthy and sustainable food systems issues, big agendas that really came out in a big way in some big international reports in 2019. And what we try to do is sort of dig into what those issues mean uh, at a helicopter level, but then really look, look at what they mean in terms of how they are landing on the ground for farmers, producers, researchers, communities. Uh, it's a fairly eclectic range of topics, but the, the hub is around those big systems changes around healthy and sustainable food system agendas. I just wanted to touch on, to, to give listeners a sense of the breadth of some of the wonderful shows that are on the Climactic Network. So you can, you can Google Climactic and go to their website and see the spectrum of all these really interesting and different sorts of shows. So I just did had a quick look this morning and so there's ones like UTS for Climate, so that's a university. Then there's Artbreaker, which is, you know, really interesting, innovative conversations in a different form. Um, there's another one called Half Measures and Hope, an alternative podcast about politics, and, of course, many with the name Climate Conversations or Climate in their title. Mark, would you like to talk about just, I don't know, two or three of the shows uh, that, that are on the network that just express the diversity of the sort of style and content? Definitely. Um, the thing I'm, I think, most proud of is that you won't find a single show on the collective that is a climate full stop show. They're always climate and something else. They're, they're always intersectional. And I love that because that's how we are experiencing the times we're in. Like, if you're not a climate scientist, then your interest in climate is never confined solely to just the fact that there is now a higher concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere, or that we have a global average mean 1.1 degrees Celsius post-industrial. These don't mean anything to our lives, but but how we eat, uh, how we how we parent. So. Um, there's a good example, the Sustainable You podcast, which is one of the, the longest shows that have been on the collective. Uh, two mums in Melbourne who are raising children, who are working, who are trying to do all this against a backdrop of, of being very aware of the climate crisis, but also, you know, commuting to work and, and their partners have jobs that are in like traditional industries and like, how do you balance that? So I love their really diverse blend of like, here's how I used, uh, what are they called? Those like those uh, soap nuts instead of like so uh, um, detergent soap in washing and like how that actually turned up in, in everyday use and why, you know, what are the, what are the actual drawbacks and what are the actual benefits? Not just what you read on a blog. Like um, and they do some remarkable interviews, but I've, I personally really love their just when it's the two of them chatting about, 
okay, life, how do we do life while being climate aware parents? It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. A bit like future studying. We all know the big issues. Where and how do we take hope? And and where and how do we just do incremental but very meaningful small steps that do make a difference and and you know <laughs> that enable us to be to do practical things, but also not give in to despair and sort of a malaise. Yep, that's right. Uh yeah, and you can check back on that show. And if you listen to an episode from a year ago, you can see how the needles moved in their own lives and how they're like systems have moved. So now, you know, it's very normal when you take your keep cup to the cafe or you get your takeaways in a reusable container. Whereas a year ago they were trendsetters. Now they're just even with the pack, which is we we always look at these things like system change. It takes so long, right? But but a year's a long time, as we've seen with COVID, where everything has changed within a year. So if we did it for this, we can do it again. And, and what about Artbreaker? T- t- tell me about Artbreaker. Thank you for the chance to talk about Artbreaker. I um, I I had the chance to speak to one of my kind of heroes in the space recently, uh, a few nights ago. Um, he's been an ABC radio documentary maker for a long time. Is a guy named Mike Williams, and he gave me some feedback on Artbreaker, which is just uh, stunning because I had the temerity to ask about six months ago. And um, he got in touch with me about a week ago and said, Mark, I'm so sorry it's taken me so long. You know, it was My daughter was born like six months ago to the day, like two days before. Or you asked me this and I was happy to do it, but it was two days before my daughter was chatting to Mike about Artbreaker was great because it's definitely a, it's an homage to another podcast called Song Exploder. And it's kind of our version of it. So Song Exploder was a, a bedroom project that is now turned into a Netflix show. It's it's one of these kind of indie podcast darlings. It's done really well. The idea of Song Exploder is uh, a musician takes apart one of their songs and they they talk about the process that it was created by, the, the instrumentation on it. But while they're talking about it, you also get a chance to hear the individual uh, instrument stems, like the actual, you know, here's just that guitar line. Here's just that bass riff. And and here's some like early voice memos of when it, it was just an idea in their heads. And then at the end, you hear the full piece of music and you hear things in it you never would have heard in a million years beforehand because it's now been sort of lifted up out of the production. So Artbreaker is what if we talked to creatives about how climate affects the art that they make? Um, how do you hear within that art? And it, you know, it's not just music, but it could be a painting, it could be a book, and we find ways to hopefully make that kind of sonically read, you know, be um, be understandable through audio, even if it's a non-audio piece of art they're talking about. We talk about how you can you can see how awareness of the climate crisis is reflected in that piece of creative output, and also we talk about how how climate affects that artist. So so what's gone into them and what's come out of them. Um, at a climate intersection with creativity, so it's been it's been amazing doing that. Uh, we've had some guest hosts doing episodes. Yeah, I love it. I love Artbreaker. Watch this space. If if your your if your listeners listen to it and love it, I'd love to hear their uh, suggestions for amazing artists that should be on it as well. And is there what? Yeah, no, I, I love Artbreaker. It's it's just a, a a different a different voice and funky form. Um, is there another one or two you'd like to highlight, or just Tell us a bit about. Yes, um, producing with purpose. Producing with purpose is what happens when a, f- a fantastic musician 
uh, is about to quit their day job to start a vegan fashion label with one of their friends. And they, they want to get a lot of advice on what to do, but what not to do and how to, you know, maintain a bit of balance all while, you know, being a young uh, UK immigrant in Melbourne, uh, newly married young person, maintaining a vegan lifestyle like so um the guests that that tony the host of that has had on have been amazing and been so generous so people like the founder of atland denim uh the the people behind some of melbourne's best vegan eateries and um products and and just some people with amazing amazing stories and tony's done a really cool thing of as you're listening to this show week by week and hearing great interviews you're also at the end getting a bit of an update with the, the company so you're fall you're you've got this through line of like i need to know what happens to this company i need to listen again next week because there's going to be a great interview of course but i also want to know if he's managed to you know have food to eat this week <laughs> so it's um, it's a cool hybrid of like sort of personal journal and interview show yeah and and spreading the word about other amazing vegan enterprises and new products fascinating mm. so you've been you've uh, known of nourishing matters uh, <laughs> since we began which we soft launched just before christmas 2020 with sort of some scene setting episodes which were about those big picture reports that i talked about earlier and then we co- we came back on air in um early february are there any particular episodes or issues from our little series that have particularly resonated with you that you might like to give me some feedback on? Well, one episode of yours I really loved, Anthea, was, I, I, I can't remember the researcher's name, unfortunately, but the episode all about native grasses. Dr. Angela Patterson from Sydney University doing the native grains from paddock to plate research up in northwest New South Wales. That one was, was I, I just remember realizing that all these things I was eating on top of my my toast every morning, my, my linseed, my flax and everything were just how how alien they were to the Australian landscape. And we just casually talk about this food bowl or like the wheat belts of Australia without without actually grasping that the the hugeness of this continent means there's just so much terraforming, just England terraforming that's happened on this continent. And the thought that there was stuff here that could be very viable replacements. And this isn't something I learned from from your show is something I learned earlier, but it's hugely stuck with me about Australian food sovereignty was for the life of me, I had no idea the macadamia nut was uh, Australian native. And then on, on hearing that it was the next sentence was, and the vast majority of macadamias are grown in Israel. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so like, macadamias have this kind of luxury kind of branding to them and they are expensive and they're awesome. But the yeah, Australian, uh, yeah, you know, there, there's there's zero elements of sovereignty to the macadamia nut in the 21st century, and and indigenous people in Australia see very little return for the fact that this this amazing nut was taken abroad and commercialized elsewhere. Yeah, no, it's interesting. This year is the um is the UN Food Summit. It's the first time the UN's had a food summit. It's kind of interesting, but very important times to be talking about food production and sustainability. We've got to increase productivity without any more land clearing, as Eat Lancet made very clear. Um, but some people, some observers on the process around the UN Food Summits say it's uh, pretty problematic because it's very much driven by big food groups. Um, and it's always difficult to get all the voices at the table, but there is quite a movement by groups such as the International 
People's Coalition for Food Sovereignty who are really pushing to get peasants and small farmers' voices, you know, to the table and heard because, you know, just a really interesting fact, it's something like 70% of the food that's grown and eaten is actually grown by that sector, small farmers and peasant farmers, and they do it on only 18% of the land. So um, some interesting parallels about with podcasters declare in some ways about getting other people's voices out into the ether. Just towards wrapping up, perhaps, Mark, because we've chatted on now for quite some time, um, do you have any special comments or reflections you'd like to share um, from your journey so far or where you're heading? So when I started this, it was literally a a chance to talk to people, uh, have the kind of conversations that I was struggling to have without the benefit of a microphone or without the the, the pretense or the excuse of it being for a podcast. And um, I found the act of sitting down with people with a mic hugely conducive to those kind of, you know, hour long chats over cups of tea that, that just happen in, you know, village life or like, you know, if you're part of a community, these are the chats that kind of just happen, but it's been wonderful to get exposure to new, new groups and new ideas and new people that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to speak to for that length of time about the issues that, you know, I really wanted to speak about, get past the pleasantries. Um, and that's that's a commonality I found in pretty much all the other hosts I've spoken to about this. They've all been just amazed at the level of access they've gotten from people who are super happy to give it, but that would feel strange to just have a conversation for the sake of having the conversation. I think that's really interesting. I mean, somebody asked me the other day, do you, you know, the people you ask, do many people say no? And I said, look, it's been incredible. I've been able to speak with some amazing people and, uh, you know, it's, more than 95% of the people I ask are, are, are yes, just a, a matter of when. And uh, it's a real privilege to be able to speak to these people. Yeah. And and really fun too. <laughs> Eddie, obviously, you and I both know Kel Butler from Listen Up Podcasting. So yeah, shout, out, shout out to her and big thanks and love to her. Um, anybody else you'd like to say hello to or, or in the States to uh, uh, get on board to help you keep uh, chatting to Apple? Oh God, the, the the middle of the country. I'd like to speak to them. Thank you for growing all the food, but things need to change. Uh, you you can't have the country you, your parents had. I'm sorry. Uh, probably probably start with learning some more history on why that was bad times. No, not really. I think I think podcasters declares in a really good stage. Um, it's really weird after having our foot on the gas and got that's a metaphor that needs to go away soon. But um. For, for maintaining a level of intensity and focus and every morning waking up being, where's the next media opportunity? <laughs> What's the levers we can pull? You know, where, where, where should we place the crowbar to lean on today? It's nice to wake up and think, that's a cool thing. What's next? I don't know yet, but it'll, it'll present itself. I have no doubt about that. Mark, thank you so much for speaking with me. It is a complete joy and a pleasure to speak with you, and I'm so grateful to you and all of your team for what you do. And I would just like to put a big call out there to listeners to please, uh, if you have a moment, take some time and Google climactic.fm to have a look at the spectrum of really interesting climate-related shows that Mark and his network of people at Climactic uh, have connected and are helping promote and get on air. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Anthea. And, and to your listeners, if you know of something that belongs there, if you see a show that you know should be on that spectrum, let us know about it. And if you don't know of such a show, maybe the right person to start it is you. Thank you so much for having me, Anthea. It was a real, real pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. 
To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On and Books and Bites, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch via Instagram at Nourishing Matters or Foodswell Australia. As this is a new podcast, we'd really value your support. So please give us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us too. Nourishing Matters to Chew On is proud to be on the Climactic Network of Podcasts and part of a collective of podcasters dedicated to inspiring positive action around climate change. Check out the other great podcasts on the Climactic Network at www.climactic.fm.